What's up, guys? Welcome to the Humans of MarTech podcast. His name is John Taylor. My name is Phil Gamash. Our mission is to future-proof the humans behind the tech so you can have a successful and happy career in marketing. What's up, folks? Today, we have the pleasure of sitting down with Tamara Grusbark, VP of Customer Strategy at Action IQ, an enterprise customer data platform. Tamara launched her career as a data analyst at Citi before spending eight years at J.P. Morgan Chase, the world's largest bank by market cap, working her way up to VP of Data Analytics. She broadened her experience as head of digital analytics at Experian in 2006 and later moved into retail as senior director of analytics at Guild Group in 2010. After a four-year stint in retail and fashion, she briefly joined Meredith Corp as SVP of Data. And for the past five years, she's been shaping customer data strategy as VP at Action IQ, aiding enterprise brands like HP, Dell, Autodesk, Atlassian, Bloomberg, bring order to the chaos of customer experience. Tamara, thanks so much for your time. Excited to chat with you about all things AI and data and CDB. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, we've been super deep on the show on two topics recently, uh, AI and, and CDP, and I feel like you're, you've are you got a really nice blend of experience in, in both of those areas. Uh, maybe we can start with AI and then uh, jump into to CDP. I know uh, I've been digging into Action IQ and, and learning about like some of the market guides that you got put together and uh, have, have learned a lot myself on, on this space. Um, so yeah, you've, you've actually written also a lot about designing and implementing ML-powered solutions in a variety of marketing areas. Um, the commoditization of AI with the emergence of ChatGPT recently um, must be a kind of an exhilarating time for you. Um, it is for me and it is, I'm sure, for a lot of marketers as well. Despite like all the excitement around AI and marketing, though, like I feel like there is still this like negative perception of it. A lot of folks are wondering how fast AI could potentially change or replace marketing jobs. So I'd love your take here. Like, What do you think are the challenges that AI has to replace everything a marketer does today? I love your last sentence, replace everything that marketer does today. <laughs> um, well, I'm, I'm very excited to talk about this topic, uh, super interested in it. I uh, have been in, in the area for many, many years. And um, frankly, I think we would do ourselves a favor if we could be a little more thoughtful about what actually AI can and cannot replace when it comes to marketing in particular right, in, in the near and, and even medium term. Uh, because, you know, there are definitely certain parts of the job that can be replaced, potentially um, changed, right? Certain functions can be changed. Uh, people would need to, without a doubt, uh, acquire new skills to work in this new environment uh, with Gen AI as, as an assistant, uh, but I'm very far from the statement that AI can just replace everything in marketing. Um, so what do I mean by that? What can and, and should be replaced, right? All of the manual repetitive tasks that, you know, corporate functions, and again, marketing in particular has plenty of, um, definitely, definitely can be automated, optimized. Uh, when it comes to 
generative AI specifically um, definitely um, should and will help with generating content, uh, but it still needs a partner, right? It, it just, it doesn't get the idea for the content out of thin air. And uh, this is actually how we'd like to describe our approach and our philosophy, um, AI philosophy at Action AQ as a human in the loop. Um, someone needs to have a conversation with Gen AI tool, someone who has an idea for the content, for the message, for tone of voice, for style, and who can it be if it's not a marketer, right? And, and otherwise, I mean, we risk having everything sounding and looking exactly the same, mm -hmm. right? And it um, basically would, would make all of the marketing initiatives and strategies less effective, not more. Uh, there is this very well-used phrase in marketing, in brand marketing in particular, um, saying we need to cut through the noise, right? So I think it's even more critical to have human in the loop with the assistance from Gen AI to be able to cut through the noise. Um, so help with first drafts, multiple versioning of content, absolutely, but being responsible for the final product, I, I really don't think so. And I actually see this an, as an extension um, or pretty much following the same trajectory as uh, other types of AI or machine learning tools, because you know professionals know that it's impossible to build a good, robust model, for example, um, predictive model for conversion, churn, lifetime value, you name it, without having a strong grasp of business context, of understanding the underlying the data, data structure, basically without human in the loop. So uh, no, I don't see Gen AI replacing everything that marketers do anytime soon. Yeah, yeah, love love your take there. Uh, definitely uh, most of the folks that I asked this uh, like uh, agree with your stance there, like it becomes an extension of what marketing does. And um, some folks compare it to like, just like a, a super powered suit where like you can do stuff faster or just like you said, like a first draft or different versions of of content. But I love the, the, the phrase that you used in branding there, like cutting through the noise. Um, I've, I've been down this like rabbit hole right now and trying to figure out like, what are the real valuable innovations in AI for marketing applications that aren't just noise? Like there's so many tools coming out like every day that are basically just like built on top of GPT-4 and are probably going to just be replaced when GPT-5 or GPT-N comes out. But like you said, like this idea of ML propensity models that help predict certain actions like churn or like propensity to buy 
those like haven't been around for, you know, 10, 15 years. Like there's still some recency to that, but I still feel like in a lot of marketing technology tools, like it's not a feature that's just there out of the box yet. Um, but like this idea of self-optimizing campaigns, like I know you're in that space of just like, how do we get all this customer data in one spot so that we can personalize the customer experience across different channels and orchestrate that, that journey. Um, in terms of like improving those uh, personalized campaign performances, I think you'll agree that like the most powerful thing you can do is personalize your messaging, especially in kind of like these micro segments by giving really valuable content to your users. Obviously, this is easier said than done without AI and, and like doing this manually and like the spaghetti of like journeys that you can build to to kind of like enable this. Um, but like many marketing automation platforms and customer engagement platforms are promising this idea of like letting AI take the wheel when it comes to orchestrating the best message at the best time. I just love your take. Uh, like, what are your thoughts on the future of machine learning and natural language processing when it comes to this era, this idea of like self optimizing campaigns? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's a very promising area. Um, and as you alluded with other um, ML AI tools widely used in marketing, it's really never a completed journey, right? Uh, you might say that this uh, whole thing with self-optimization of the um customer experience, customer journey, really started a while ago uh, with ESPs doing send time optimization, right? Figuring out when people are opening an email and sending to make sure that they maximize the probability of opening an email or various types of subject line testing where the winning version would be sent to a larger portion of the population. Uh, so these are all kind of components of the uh, bigger journey. I think we are definitely in an interesting place right now where uh, due to the advancements in generative AI, uh, you can now marry these micro segments with the power of uh, you know, language models. Uh, so this is definitely a very exciting area in terms of completely this journey is being completely self-optimized. Again, I'm a bit skeptical putting on this, you know, hat of human in the loop uh, proponent. Uh, I, I do foresee potentially in the near to medium future, at least uh from the business user perspective, from the client perspective, it might look like a self-optimizing journey, right? So we wouldn't require clients to set up multiple A-B tests and different types of journeys and test them against each other. Uh, but there still will be uh, a lot of human involvement on the back end. Um, at all these vendors that are promising this type of functionality. Uh, there is a lot of work to be done by mm -hmm. humans to make sure that, you know, these journeys actually work and drive the business forward. Right. Yeah. I think like uh, th this, this term that like some of my previous guests have used is that like a component of marketing will evolve to being AI regulation based where, 
um, maybe like the the human reviews certain drafts that the generative AI proposes, the human reviews like micro segments that the ML tool proposes. But like there's always going to be a human checking stuff before stuff goes live. And I think it's going to differ in, in some in some industries, right? Like in uh, I work in my current startup, we're, we're in healthcare. And so this idea of just letting AI take the wheel and have access to PHI data and send information to users like this is going to take many, many years for for anyone to feel comfortable doing that. But in things like e-commerce or in in like some B2C uh, areas where, you know, there isn't that much like uh, trust required in, in the data and like we're doing like abandoned cart type of emails or like loyalty or like birthday type campaigns, like that's a different area. And so like, I feel like the, the the areas of opportunity are going to be a bit different across different industries, but it's a it's a fascinating space to 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 keep tabs on. Like I chatted with one guest that was building something to automate the creation of campaigns end to end. So they connected their um, uh, workplace management. They use Asana. So they're connecting Asana to like the marketing automation platform and their BI tool. And they, the human still is involved in the earlier part of it. So they're drafting, whiteboarding, like what is the best campaign, the best journey for this user. And then they create a ticket in Asana. And that ticket goes over into the generative AI tool. It spits up a couple of drafts. The human reviews the drafts, makes changes, presses go on it. It creates the emails and the journeys in the marketing automation platform. And then the human just has to like press go on it and it's live. The data is fed into the BI tool. Reports are sent over to the human. So it's like not completely replacing, obviously, like the marketing operations person that's like building and designing those emails, but it's making stuff a lot faster. But um, yeah, like you said, it's a, yeah, it's a fascinating that's, that's actually, you know, that's actually a great example. I, I really love this example because it really illustrates the parts where human interaction is critical, right? at the get-go, understanding what this campaign is designed to do, right? Reviewing the outputs from generative AI, but then really letting machines do the automated work, right? You don't want a human to, I don't know, upload data, download data, push a button to run the report, distribute the report. These are all of the tasks that, that, can be and should be replaced. And it actually reminds me a little bit, I know we haven't started our CDP conversation yet, but sometimes I, uh, when I talk about my experience in this space, I say that uh, throughout my career, I used to manage human CDPs, mm. which means that actually in, in many of the places where I worked, I built and led the teams of, data analysts, data scientists, software engineers that basically were responsible for pulling the information out of the data and providing it to business. And, you know, this is a situation where you have very highly upskilled people that are spending their time doing things that really need to be automated and scaled. So that's... That's one of the reasons why I became so excited about uh, the CDP space and how I ended up working here. 
I love it. You you made the transition to the the CDP conversation uh, really nicely there. I love the idea of the the human CDP like before platforms existed, how we manage teams to collaborate and like collect a bunch of data that we have existing about our users, transforming that and making it accessible to teams and like doing the analysis and and helping them do something with that data activated. Uh, yeah, I've been fascinating with the the, the CDP uh, space recently, and it kind of started with like internally my company. Uh, I said we're we're healthcare, and so we debated a lot this idea of the composable stack with the packaged CDP. Part of that was having more flexibility around the security constraints with the data that we're giving some of the tools in the stack. Uh, we were looking at like um, some of the vendors in the package area that weren't. Um, PHI certified yet. They weren't HIPAA compliant. So like it made us consider the package route. And uh, my data team was just like, yeah, like the CDP is dead. We need to like research the package route. And I was just like, what are you talking about? The CDP is dead. I feel like most people are just like waking up to the term. Like it's still like so fresh. And so I, I went down this like rabbit hole and, and kind of discovered it. And Action IQ is, is one of the companies that um, came up in my research. And I thought that the company had a really unique position when it came to the debate of package versus composable. Um, your team wrote this 2023 CDP market guide, which I found fascinating. Um, Action IQ is both listed under the composable approach as the ideal enterprise focus vendor, but it's also listed as an option in the packaged approach as an experience orchestration CDP. So do I have this right? Like, I'd love your take there. Like Action IQ is both a packaged CDP offering that requires a copy of your data, but it's also got a composable CDP offering, a zero copy data architecture. It's a bit more of like a hybrid approach, like whatever you want, like we can we can do it. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. We actually love the term hybrid approach and, and uh, that's one of the offerings that we bring to the market. Uh, but listen, even when we started and there was no mention of composable CDP, our motto always has been flexibility mm-hmm. and understanding what client needs and where we can meet and really help the client and kind of grow with them, right? And support them on the journey. Because this whole first party data maturity journey is it's a long road and again as as i already mentioned not do it and forget it kind of deal right um organizations develop they grow in their maturity um, they figure out how to manage their data, their needs change, their infrastructure change. We were always very um, attuned to this fact. So uh, even in the beginning, we were always proponents of offering different types of component of our CDP solution. Again, depending on where the client is and what their needs are. Mm-hmm. Um, right now I can say that we have some clients that rely on us for pretty much everything that composable CDP can offer. Um, and there are clients that did a lot of work themselves on their data infrastructure, identity resolution, 
and still looking for this business-friendly UI tool that would help their business team to get access to this information, to all this, you know, clean, verified, unified, perfect profile. If it just sits in the data warehouse, again, there is there is not much use and there is not much to show for it. I actually just had a meeting with one of our clients who uh, said exactly that, uh, that we invested in our first party data strategy, in our identity resolution. We feel really good about our solution and what we have in place. But at this point, it's just a line in my cost balance sheet. And I need to turn it into revenue. <laughs> and I found this point of view really, you know, focused and refreshing because at the end of the day, all of this exciting capabilities that we have, they're really not worth much if they're not actually being used by business at scale um, to, to move the business forward. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I know that Action IQ focuses at least for the most part on, on enterprise customers. And, um, I don't have like a ton of experience at enterprise. Like I only had a short stint at automatic and, and wordpress.com. Most of my experience is, is startups. So this idea of like building stuff in house is like very foreign in startups, right? Like at startups, it's just like, we need to move fast. Like we need to buy something that exists already. Like let's go. And in like much bigger teams, it's like I had a MarTech team of like 50 plus people that were mostly all engineers and we were building our own in-house CDP, our own like data lakes, and we we're building our own ESP. And it was just like crazy that we were spending all this time and energy building our own tooling when I came from the startup world. And I was just like, guys, like there's like, have you seen the MarTech landscape of like 11,000 tools that Brinker puts mm -hmm. out? Like a lot of companies have like done this already. Why are we building it ourselves? But in enterprise, like it's like there's so many custom solutions required for like specific things, whether it's like technical debt from like previous people that have built stuff, whether it's security and like privacy regulations for specific clients. So there are a lot of enterprises that have unique niche needs when it comes to data, data tooling. So I love your, your hybrid approach and just like, yeah, like we were offering this before the composable term was really a term. I know that in like the 2023 guide, you, you don't even call it always composable it's like package versus unbundled uh cdp and i've uh, i'd love to like get your take on like what what is the packaged cdp like if someone was to go to action iq and go the package route the the bundled route like just like i want all of the things like i'm just building out my data team and we don't really have any toolings yet like what do you have everything to offer um i've become a big fan of uh, rp chudry's data beats uh, uh newsletter i don't know if you're familiar with it but he articulates the components of package cdps better than anywhere i've seen in his post on composable versus package cdps so i'll list you the eight components that he has under the package CDP component side. And then I'll flip it back to you. Like, I'm curious, like if you think those are the eight components, if there's anything else, because like, I think it overlaps kind of closely with Action IQ, but I know you guys have uh, other tools too, like um, like BI and, and orchestration as well. So he has eight. So the first one is um, the customer data infrastructure. You mentioned that, like collecting the first party data side of things. Um, then there's the ETL piece. So ingesting data into the warehouse from a bunch of different tools. 
then there's the warehouse tool itself, like the data storage piece. Uh, you mentioned data identity resolution as well. So number four is kind of like tying together different customer various interactions into uh, single users and, and devices. Number five is this like audience segmentation area where you can like have this drag and drop UI to build different segments of your audience based on uh, the data that you've collected in, in the CDP or in the warehouse. Number six is reverse CTL. This is like a bit of a new-ish terms in the last like uh, half decade, but basically extracting data that you have from your, your CDP or in the warehouse and pushing that to your, your business tools, like your marketing tools, your sales tools. And then seven and eight are just like data quality and, and data governance, privacy compliance type stuff. So do you agree with the eight components? Like um, what, what would you argue with those? Yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily argue. Uh, there are definitely some details to each of them. I mean, seven and eight, it, it's a matter of working, I guess, component versus just an underlying necessity for the product to be, you know, really usable mm -hmm. in the marketplace, right? Because without ensuring data quality, validity, then everything downstream really doesn't make sense. And of course, uh, striving to provide data governance and do everything in a privacy compliant way starting with data collection and ending with data activation is, is definitely critical. Um, I read through the article and the author actually mentions that not all of them would necessarily be required by each client, which I completely agree. Um, in a lot of instances, when it comes to CDI data collection, right? We do data collection for some of our clients. Other clients have this solved in their own way. They have web behavior, app behavior data already available. So we would just ingest it from them. Mm -hmm. So it going back to our motto of flexibility and seeing what makes sense for a specific client. Um, Identity resolution, again, one of the components that's critical for the clients who are at the very start of their data journey and, and really truly has many different sources and needs help reconciling them and understanding who the customer is. Um, when it comes to audience segmentation, drag and drop UI, absolutely critical in terms of providing this data democratization and self-service, I would say spanning from this, we also offer, um, I wouldn't call it a BI tool, but more of a insights dashboards yeah. that allow people not just build the segments, but understand the overlaps with other segments, mm. understand maybe, you know, distributions on some key KPIs. So get more understanding of the behavior of this particular segment that would allow them to create more efficient marketing campaign. Uh, as well as we have two types of audiences. Uh, one we call rule-driven and another one ML-driven. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a component uh, 
machine learning component within our platform that allows our um, clients to build the audiences um, based on predictive models. Hmm. So uh, that's definitely a component that a lot of clients are interested in, especially depending on the type of the client, maybe not huge enterprises with large data science teams, but more on the uh, mid-market side. But sometimes even when it comes to large enterprises, a couple of those that we work with come to mind as we collect uh, completely new data for them that they didn't have access to and they want to put something into market quickly. Um, they utilize our predictive tool to create these audiences. And of course, we work in collaboration with their data science teams to make sure that you know it passes their sniff test. Another thing that we are very proud of, in addition to human in the loop notion, is um, white box approach to mm, predictive modeling. Cool. Um, so we are always partnering with our clients to show them why we recommend this particular audience for this particular campaign, what makes it good for this particular campaign. And it gives them a lot of insights, again, when it comes to marketing strategy and how to talk to these people. Fascinating. I think that's actually good uh, a good episode to send on the product marketing team because like as as a buyer like i don't know if i'm exactly your your icp because you're you're a bit more enterprise and i know that, like some of the wording on this site is like uh customer data platform for it teams and so like i don't know like there is like a section for marketers too but this specifically like the 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 ml data pipeline that you kind of mentioned as part of the audience segmentation like i think that's a true differentiator from all the other cdps that i've kind of reviewed and, and chatted with um like m particle uh acquired a company that that kind of does this to add to their capability but it's it's a bit of a black box like we don't really know how it kind of works and um the 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 idea that you just kind of mentioned there, like democratizing this ability to create propensity models for marketers specifically. And I don't like in my startup, like I don't have a, a single data scientist in, in our team. Like it's, it's on the roadmap, like it's a, it's a future headcount, but like we don't have a data science at all. But, but I was in an enterprise, like we had a big data science team and they had a homegrown way of building models, but it took time to operationalize it. It took time to see like the validity of it, how effective it was. So this idea of like enabling, you know, medium sized enterprise that like maybe don't have a huge uh, data science team. I think that's a, a really cool uh, differentiator, but yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, I, I want to flip to the, uh, the composer rule route too. So um, we, we just like walked through like all the, the potential components um, that come into play here. Uh, reverse ETL and composable CDP proponents have kind of asserted that the traditional CDP is becoming obsolete um, and that the future lies in the composable approach um, that leverages the modern data warehouse, right? Uh, they claim that existing CDP vendors that are more like all-in-one tool will have to adapt or, or shift to risk becoming uh, irrelevant. So I'll, I'll give you six, six, same question as before. So I'll give you like some of the arguments in favor of the composable route. And I'm curious your take on like, whether you agree, those are like the best arguments for the composable route, or you agree if they're actual arguments for it. 
So the first one is faster time to value. I, I see that as being like the most popular uh, proponent of like going the composable route. There's this assumption that the bundled or the package CDP option takes like months and months to to set up because like there's a whole business internal side of things like convincing the humans that this is the route that we're going for and it's not just on the tech. Um, but like activating that existing data in the warehouse is faster than implementing a traditional CDP. Some argue that could take up to six months. So faster time to value, that's the first one. Number two is cost savings. CDBs obviously result in duplicating a lot of data storage costs. So you're basically creating another version of your data warehouse uh, for the package CDP route. Number three is flexibility. Uh, that's one you you kind of talked about already. So maybe maybe that's going to be the first one you mentioned. But you know, uh, CDBs have this limited and flexible uh, data model, whereas composable tools are warehouse native and offer greater flexibility in modeling and transformation and also like selecting the vendor that you want to, to do this specific task. Um, two more, two last ones, consistent metrics. Like this is another one that's kind of a bit more like business and internal focus, but since the composable route activates data from the warehouse, which should be the organization's source of truth, it's potentially easier to ensure that like metrics are consistent across different tools and across your your BI tool. And then finally, uh, privacy and security off the shelf CDPs replicate sensitive customer data uh, in in their own storage database, creating potential privacy and, and security risks there. So um, do you agree that those are like the main proponents? Uh, just curious your your take there on those benefits. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, they definitely make sense. Again, they devil is a little bit in the detail right it's it's faster time to value for those companies that are ready right right that have all the data in the warehouse that have all of this clean that have all of this unified of course for them it doesn't make sense to go and create another copy of this data somewhere else uh but this path to usable customer data needs to be taken somehow right so it's either for some companies they fully do it internally and other companies might choose to start with the help of um cdp and then you know iterate from there um but yeah once you have everything in, in your data warehouse it makes perfect sense to utilize all of these investments that already have been made and then just focus on activating. Um, another thing, another comment I wanted to make here is that you mentioned that it's easier because only tech is kind of engaged and they don't need to bring business into the conversation. I would argue that it's not the case and it's really not the right approach because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, this data is being activated for the purposes of reaching business goals, right? So only in, in the true partnership between business and tech, these campaigns would actually make a difference for the business. So I think it's, it's super important for any sort of MarTech initiative to ensure that there is this partnership between business and tech. Um, consistent metrics is a huge one, huge one. I 
can't believe that I remember just starting in this um, industry, you know, many, many years ago. And one of the biggest issues that could arise at the highest level executive meetings is when people interpret data differently or they pull the information from the same source using different query or from two different sources or anything like that. Like this is the issue that absolutely needs to be solved and it's easier to solve when there is one source of information that's already cleaned and predefined and ready for activation. Yeah. I feel like you mentioned a good point there. Like the the assumption that companies have everything in the data warehouse and it's it's nice and clean and then you can jump into the composable approach is a big assumption. And I'm curious like the enterprise brands that you work with, like obviously you guys went the hybrid approach as well. So, you know, not everyone has that like clean approach from day one when they're shopping for a CDP in that data warehouse. Like what like top of mind, like what would be the split on like people that come to Action IQ that have a perfect, like maybe not perfect, but like a, a well-built data warehouse with most of the data that they need in there versus companies that come to you and they're just like, yeah, like we don't, we have a bunch of data, different databases. There is like a couple of warehouses, but like data is messy. It's like not data lakes, a bit more data swamps. Like what would you, what would you think the, the split is right now on, on people that come to Action IQ? Uh, well, I think it's definitely moving into a better mm -hmm. data warehouse managed space. Definitely over the last five years, I see more and more clients with much better data infrastructure. But even for these clients, we offer a hybrid approach because not everything they would want to be pulled from the data warehouse. There is still sources here or there that would make sense for us to connect to outside of the data warehouse. Uh, hence hybrid, right? right. So a lot of our enterprise clients use exactly that. It's it's still a hybrid. The portion of the data is being accessed uh, by zero copy and the portion of the data we still ingest. Gotcha. I wanna I wanna take the opposite of of that question there. So we just talked about like the the arguments in favor of of the composable route. And there's obviously a lot of like more traditional CDPs that um, have evolved and uh, are adding like data warehouse connections to kind of like counteract this composable movement, but are still on the the, the package side of of the debate. Um, but I've had a bunch of different perspectives on the show, like in, including yourself. Like I've had Tejas from from High Touch and Boris from Census on the reverse ETL, very heavy composable route of things. Um, but I'm also uh, sharing an episode with Michael Katz from M Particle, which is he's a bit more on like the the package side of the debate, but I've had like uh, consultants uh, like um, like uh, David Chan that are just like kind of in between the two, but are seeing composable as the future. Um, but uh, Michael Katz wrote a really interesting post uh, that's kind of like counteracting the, the composable debate right now. He called it navigating the CDP noise composable sleight of hand. He basically argued that the shift towards the data warehouse doesn't necessarily diminish the importance of the package CDP. And if anything, it reinforces their utility. So he's got like three main arguments and I'm curious your 
your take on on all three of those. So he says that this like zero data copy is unachievable today in businesses. Instead, companies should focus on minimizing data deduplication and boosting data transfer efficiency. So he basically says that like the question shouldn't be why am I paying for another another copy of my data? Instead, it should be which architecture delivers the most value at the cheapest costs. So that's his way of counteracting the fact that like the package CDP basically reproduces a lot of the the data storage components of the warehouse. The second one is security risks. So he says that like they're not unique to CDPs. They depend on the software vendor's commitment to security measures and not on the software category itself. And the third one he says is like the claim that CDPs are slow to implement is baseless in his opinion. With robust and mature platforms, CDPs can assure quick deployment and high data quality. Curious what your take is on on, on those three arguments. Um, yeah, so um, I wouldn't necessarily say that I disagree with them. The thing is, it in my mind, it doesn't need to be black and white. If zero data copy is unachievable, and by the way, that's what we are saying right now as well, it's not something that we are seeing that work will work for everybody in the near term. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be moving in this right. direction because it's just more optimal, mm-hmm. right? So when the enough work is done to create this robust uh, data environment internally by the client, then why not take advantage of all of this investment, right? And use the data from where it is and decrease the costs. And again, as, as I mentioned before, it doesn't mean that we will never ever go and find necessary data somewhere else, but it doesn't necessarily need to be 0% or 100%, either only zero copy or completely go composable CD period. Uh, it's really in, in from our standpoint at Action AQ, it's, creating this environment and another term that we are very fond of is future proof environment where you can really utilize the different components from best and breed be the vendor or an internal solution and not being locked into something rigid for a long time right? Being able to choose what works for you today and optimize. Gotcha. Yeah. I like the, the take there that you're, you're actually agreeing on the, the zero copy stuff. Like sometimes you need like data to be localized uh, to, to access it more efficiently and uh, on a faster basis, like this idea of real time data, it can't always rely on the warehouse. Like our, our team at my startup, like spent a lot of effort, like building Redshift to be this like data warehouse, the source of truth but it's pretty slow. Like it updates every 24 hours and I can't rely on that to like personalize my, my email campaign. So, right, you know, right. even though I'd love to just have 
just one of those areas to store that data. I need to have it localized somewhere else in, in my marketing automation tool or my customer engagement platform to to act on that data a lot faster. So using APIs or, or using different ways to, to go around getting that data faster. And then like the next day, like the stuff that I don't need real time, I can I can use the the warehouse for. But yeah, I, I find the space so fascinating. Like, uh, I appreciate your your insights and and the the experience uh, and the body of work that you have in in the CDP space. Uh, I still go back to like maybe I'll title the episode like figure out a way to have like the human CDP uh, component there because I liked when when you said that. But I want a um, couple last questions for you. Uh, I I know like as the the VP of Strategic Services at Action IQ, you work a lot with the clients that come to Action IQ. I'd love for you to elaborate on like how you approach building this data-driven customer experience roadmap for these clients. Like how do you stay on top of all the changes in, in the MarTech landscape and how do you uh, enable this, this data-driven uh, customer experience roadmap? Yeah, so um, this goes back to the point that I made several times before is that at the end of the day, all of these capabilities are so exciting because we can use them to solve very real business problems and see very real business impact. So that's why when I work with our clients, I want to start from the high level instead of just jumping into, let's run a personalization campaign or let's build a model for you or let's launch onboarding journey, something like that, right? Um, And go through the list of use cases that sometimes mix campaigns and capabilities and BI requests and things of that sort. I always like to start our conversation from identifying the high high level business goals, right? What they're trying to do Uh, when it comes to customer data and how are they envisioning uh, impacting their business with customer data. And we identified what I call four pillars of value, main pillars of value that pretty much all of our clients, irrespective of the industries that they're operating, interested in. Uh, It's growing their customer base, growing customer relationship, is one, Um, doing it very efficiently in the context of uh, marketing and media budget, second one, Um, improving customer experience, right? Maybe it's not always about making a sale, but it's about providing the experience that engenders loyalty. Um, And then, obviously helping with uh, overall security and compliance because uh, customer data is is very sensitive topic. Um, So once we identify these four pillars, there are key strategies that clients employ to reach these business goals. Then we discuss specific KPIs that they need to move in order to reach the strategies, right? Is it a retention rate for improving customer experience? Is it conversion rate from leads to customers 
on the acquisition side. Uh, once we identified this set of KPIs, we then design what we call at this point use cases that are designed to move these KPIs in the right direction, right? So, and in this way, we have a very clear picture of why we designed this campaign, how we are going to measure the success, what's the time frame that we're going to measure it off, what's going to be our baseline or control experience. Uh, but it creates a lot of transparency and visibility um, on this whole customer data initiative, right? I, I also encourage my clients to share the results frequently across the organization, because in that way, it stops being this just, you know, some weird conglomerate of all the tasks that everybody thinks CDPs <laughs> should perform and becomes much clearer tool on how they can deliver value with customer data. And then, of course, capabilities come in. Right? right, because in order to create these impactful use cases, you need to have access to certain data. You need to activate them in certain way. Uh, you need to have some sort of intelligence to understand at what point to talk to custom to talk to customer A versus customer B. But these are all capabilities that, at the end of the day, are designed to push the business objectives forward. And then, in this way, in this framework staying on top of all the changes in MarTech kind of becomes natural, right? Because you're always on the lookout. I have this particular campaign. How can I make it more efficient? Which components make sense to deliver in real time versus batch? Are we ready for real time? How would real time experience look like? Uh, but then it just stops being purely about capabilities and becomes a real business success Thank you. Thank you for watching me walk me through that. I think that's uh definitely the the wise path to to building anything. I'm sure there's some clients that are like signing up and excited to like jump into use cases and and, and capability right away and you have to like rein them back a little bit and like well, let's talk about goals and metrics first and like let's make sure your your data is is in a place that we can access it in in the first place and then you can kind of design those use cases and and get into to that fun stuff i'm sure like there's there's a difference when you like uh the your your point of contact is like someone in it versus when there's someone in in marketing that just like wants to do something kind of like tomorrow but yeah, I totally agree with the, the the way you're you're walking through there. Um, I'll uh, I got two last questions for you tomorrow. I know we're uh, we're getting close on time. Um, you're you're a part of Odessa Peace Fund, an initiative aimed at supporting the Ukrainian people affected by the Russian invasion. Uh, I would love to learn more about your role and uh, this initiative. Oh, thank you so much for this question. I actually strive to uh, have Ukraine and what's going on in Ukraine part of ongoing conversation. I know it's been uh, it's been going on for a while, unfortunately, and, and people don't have a very long attention span, especially yeah. when it doesn't concern them directly. Um, but I'm originally from Ukraine. I moved to the United States after I graduated from college. Um, have a lot of very close friends that I grew up with. 
that chose to stay in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I was fortunate to meet um, a great friend at this point, a Ukrainian artist, Irina Scheinfeld, uh, who is originally from Odessa, who organized this fund, uh, Odessa Peace Fund, uh, from the day one of Russian invasion. Hmm. Uh, so I came in to work with her and support her, and we expanded our efforts um, beyond Odessa. Uh, we work with um, a lot of humanitarian and medical organizations across Ukraine in different regions. Uh, and we have a network of partners here in the United States. Uh, we understand the direct needs in Ukraine and we organize delivery of the necessary things in the most efficient way. So this initiative right now takes up a lot of my time. Um, I involve both of my daughters in it. Um, nice. I think it's it's super important just to be there, to help in any way you can and and to keep the conversation going because it's happening and, and we should bear witness. Very awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, super powerful. Uh, I think that it's, uh, yeah, it's so sad that it is kind of like, still ongoing like uh we're recording this in in august uh, and this episode is probably releasing in in september and like every time i turn on the news i'm just hopeful that like this is like we're, we're getting towards the end but i think that what you're doing is incredibly important and super powerful and thank you for for doing that and, and involving your daughters i think that's uh even uh a great way to to get them to start thinking about like how do we give back how do we think about the things that are outside of work and, and way more important than work so yeah thanks for for sharing that i've got one last question for you you're a vp a data expert a speaker an archaeology fanatic a wife a mother of teenage daughters uh, an advocate for ukraine you have a lot going on. Uh, one question we ask all of our guests is, how do you remain happy and successful in your career? How do you find balance between all the things you're working on while staying happy? Well, I think for me, it's by remaining curious because what makes me happy is learning new things mm -hmm. and not being bored. And I'm never bored. I was never <laughs> bored in my career. Um, I worked at many different places, always dealing with customer data, but uh, working in different environments, different industries, and it just always fascinates me to learn new things, to understand how things that I know can be applied the same way or differently, continuously learning new skills these five years at Action AQ have been incredible. It's the first time I came from the client side to the vendor side. Mm -hmm. Completely new world, <laughs> purely tech organization. Um, I learn so much every day, and that that really keeps me happy. Awesome! Thanks for sharing. Curiosity is uh, definitely a powerful tool to have in in Martech and in 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 business and tech as a uh, in general, anything uh, you want to plug for, for the audience tomorrow before we go? Well, uh, I would go back to um, 
where we started, Gen AI, obviously we are very, very excited about researching opportunities on where we can help our clients to mm -hmm. use it in a meaningful, impactful way. So work is happening on ActionAQ side to, to find these areas and implement new and exciting solutions. Nice. Excited to eat tabs on on what you guys are going to be releasing around there. I think the suite of tools that you guys are building is uh, super important. And I love the, the hybrid approach there. Everyone's focused on one side or the other on the debate. And you guys are just like, guys, like, why can't it be both? Why can't we do both at the same time? So thank you so much for your time tomorrow. This is a super fun conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me.